the world has changed in terms of the dimensions of it for a supply chain leader. Because undoubtedly, you know, whether it's technology, whether it's COVID, whether it's other things that impact uh, what those people are required to do, it's ever changing. So much of what we see is noise and actually being able to remove the noise and see the signal is actually what's critical for most businesses. Welcome to the Supply Chain Show, featuring compelling interviews with remarkable supply chain leaders. Listen in as our guests share their learnings and insights on today's supply chain challenges. I'm your host, Crystal Lee, a principal consultant with Oliver White, teaching companies to transform their business, achieve mind-blowing financial results, and dramatically improve the lives of their employees. This week, as our guest, we have Les Brooks, CEO of Oliver White Europe. Les, thanks for taking the time to be here with us today. Why don't we start with uh, just a, an introduction, Les. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, I'm Les Brooks. Hello, everybody. I, uh, I've been with Oliver White now for 20 years. So you can imagine during that time, I've worked with a multitude of uh, different organizations from multinationals across the world to, to smaller ones in many different industry sectors. I guess a bit of background about me. I live in the, the UK, a place called Stratford-upon-Avon. I guess many years ago, I trained as an engineer, then got into operations, became operations director for a, a global engineering business and then was head of uh, global operations for Mercedes High Performance Racing, uh, and then joined Oliver White. And, and since then, I've uh, normally been traveling a lot. But uh, with COVID, this is the least I've been outside of the UK or even my house probably since I, well, in 30 years, really. So, so that's probably a bit about me. <laughs> wow. So are you, enjoying, are you enjoying it more being home or do you miss being on the road? There are parts that I miss about being on the road. So, you know, actually going and meeting people face to face whilst the, this virtual world is different and actually you know, we can make it work with leadership uh, in particular, being face to face, actually having that eye contact especially when you're driving change management, still makes quite a difference. The education piece of what we do, and even the workshops of what we do, they actually, they work really well. We fine-tune them. Yeah, we're good at doing it. But actually, you know, I miss the face-to-face, the -face, eye-to-eye, you know, so listening with my eyes as well as my ears when I'm in front of somebody. And uh, that's not always the case on virtual. Right. It is hard to to tap into that. I know we're all in the middle of transitioning to this new normal, but uh, speaking of leadership and all of the time that um, we certainly spend coaching leaders, you know, as a concept, leadership in general really evolves over time. And I think often we see leaders having to rise to challenges of today that might be different uh, from days past. So what do you think it means to be a leader, in particular a supply chain leader today? Who are they responsible for and, and what is it all about? Yeah, I guess uh, the world has changed in terms of the dimensions of it for a supply chain leader. I mean, certainly if you look at organizations that we work with, most had a plan, for instance, to go more to the e-commerce uh, route to market, different shape supply chains. But that plan literally was 
between now and five years to get to significant volume. What they've had to do, literally, is cope with a dramatic shift in business in many organizations that we work with and actually deliver against that in the space of three or four months and, and probably even less. And then on top of that, obviously, they're faced with the impact of other parts of the world closing down due to COVID, uh, supply of materials in, reshaping uh, where they can purchase the key raw materials from. So actually, I, I guess you, know, you might see some supply chain leaders, I guess it's a bit like the swan swimming on the water, you know, that they might still look quite uh, finesse above the water, but I'm sure the feet are going quicker than ever before. When you think of those feet paddling underwater, how much of that energy and focus and reprioritization and decision-making has been a part of supply chain leadership all along versus how much do you think is, is new and it has to do with this environment that we're in? It's always been there. But for me, it's the difference really between, the, you know, so the speed of the feet, really the difference is those that have process uh, strong leadership and capability and good teams aren't paddling as quick. You know, they have the processes that allow them to cope. You know, there's a, one organisation that we're working with at the minute that has implemented integrated business planning and some supply chain improvement activity. And they're praising the fact that they had that process and that process discipline in place because especially when you actually it's not just about managing the supply chain but managing a virtual team if people don't know what to do you can't well i guess if i say you can't i would have said it was more difficult to firefight from behind a computer screen than actually walk into an office or getting on the phone and being with a group of people so, so I think actually, and this is pretty similar to those people back in the recession of 2008, 2009, that there were people that portrayed themselves as being good at supply chain management, but actually they were good at steady state flow. And when it then came to being disruptive, they weren't really good in terms of process to cope with disruption and volatility. And so I think those that have that mastered within a process have the capability to work and actually not paddle as quick. So probably the quality of the decisions they make is better because they have more time to focus on decision making versus chasing. So here on the podcast, you know, Les, we talk to remarkable supply chain leaders. When we say that, what, what does that mean to you? What does it take to be a remarkable supply chain leader today? I would start with leadership because the world is changing. The teams that people have working for them want leadership more than management. So I think strong leadership skills is essential. Then the next thing I think is you know, a level of entrepreneurialism, an ability to actually think outside of the box, because undoubtedly, you know, whether it's technology, whether it's COVID, whether it's other things that impact uh, what those people are required to do, it's ever changing. And so, you know, it's that leadership, it's the entrepreneurial ship, it's a good enough understanding 
of the core principles that underpin supply chain management so that they're not superficial in actually being able to communicate and understand. So again, I guess actually the communication skills is also a strong piece along with the, the good team skills. Because you know, I, I guess if I go back, this is like uh, when I was young, if I go back when I was in business, and even when I joined Oliver White to begin with, people had lots of time and lots of capacity of people. In today's world, I don't go to any business that has that additional resource that they can say, uh, right, yeah, I'm going to just get you to do this project whilst everybody else carries on doing the work. Everybody is doing the work. And I guess from that point of view, it requires strong team working as well to ensure that everybody's willing to go the extra mile when they need to and do it for the team. So Les, you and I both, before joining Oliver White, at much different times, of course, but both of us um, were industry leaders before we joined the team. So both of us were leaders in different functions um, before joining Oliver White. But so, you know, many would say we've crossed to the dark side now <laughs> as consultants and doing that work across many industries and many companies. But what about consultants? What does it take to be a remarkable supply chain consultant these days? Information is so readily available. It's everywhere. And whether it's good information or not, sometimes doesn't matter. So what's your perspective on consulting in supply chain today and what it takes for us to be remarkable? So if you go back to what it takes in terms of supply chain leadership, I think actually in Oliver White, you know, what I see that, you know, we do or I do in particular, you know, is support people on that journey. So being a consultant, and, I, and it's a strange thing, you know, because I, I don't actually consider myself as a consultant because in the traditional sense where you're telling people, I don't believe actually I've ever told anybody. I've helped people to understand the choices got them to see the potential benefits and pitfalls. So benefits in terms of this choice or pitfall in terms of this and given them additional knowledge that's supported them in being better. You know, I also think, you know, it's about being able to listen to people because, you know, the higher you get in leadership, undoubtedly the lonelier the place can be. And so having somebody that can be a confidant, that you can put those ideas past, test those ideas. So being a consultant that listens versus tells, uh, nobody wants to be told, but people do want to understand and people do want to improve. So in, in the role that certainly I play and I'd hope other people are playing within the Oliver White organisation, it's focus on the individual, their success, focus on the knowledge transfer, build their capability, and if they don't see it to begin with, try a different way before, you know, because honestly, if you get to the point of telling, then you're at fault for not being able to express things in the right way. So, you know, I, I'd see us, you know, that confidant role, uh, et cetera, being critical. And then also, you know, being a consultant that isn't just a leadership consultant that people pull out 
every so often from Oliver White say, or you can go and speak to the leaders, actually that ability to work through the organization and get everybody on board, because we're, you're doing that for the success of that supply chain leader who's invested their credibility in you. And so you need to be able to communicate with those people and help those people as well. And absolutely, I take a pride in uh, ensuring that I'm helping people on their career journey as well. You know, one of the things that contributes, I think, to our ability to be coaches and advisors and confidants is our experience. You know, one of the, it's a differentiator for all of our white principles, right? Is that all of us come from industry. Uh, and we've, we've lived it. We lived the transformations. We were business leaders and functional leaders, and we played many of the roles that we work to transform and improve in other organizations today. And I think that's really powerful because we can stand and say, I've been there, I've seen this. So we're not using a textbook. Of course, we have the textbook and we wrote the textbooks in some cases, but we're not using those textbooks. We're pulling on the experience. Yeah, we, we build on experience that we've had, whether it's been in our own careers when we were in industry or whether it's been since we've been consultants. And I guess then in addition, you know, I, I still believe that, you know, I don't, I'm not a person and it's going to sound really sad that I don't read fiction, right? Mainly because the type of person I am, I see that as a waste of my time. I'm not saying fiction isn't good. I don't watch films, even on long haul flight. But actually, what I do do is I invest in additional learning to go on top of that experience via business related books of all different types, whether it's about leadership, whether it's about uh, certain technologies, etc. So I invest a lot of time there as well, invest a lot of time on learning to bring that together with the experience as a consultant, the experience in industry to be able to help people explore those different avenues and also push the boundaries. Because often what we do is we create excellence because what we're doing is we're working with ideas that our customers have, that we've had in the past that may not have been achievable yet uh, and they can be achievable now. Um, I always go back to my days in uh, the uh, engine motorsport engine business that you know if you look at an engine it's been the same for many years uh, for hundreds of years realistically and yet an idea that didn't work 20 years ago because of different material technology can work today and on a regular basis we found around 10 percent horsepower every year and an increase in rpm so that the same product could actually go quicker and I think the world of consulting is similar to that you know that if you take your experiences if you take things that maybe didn't work five years ago where technology has now changed and you are pushing the boundaries with customers you can now find different ways of making things work and enhancing performance so so I do think you know that experience is, is good and I always say to people you know I've always sat on the other side of the desk and I was at a, a really big conference of a big agri company. I think the audience was about 500 of their leadership team from global, from all the divisions. And somebody had already said to me, Les, 
the thing is these people think they're different and that this stuff won't apply so i i stood up on the stage and the first thing i actually said is look just before we start somebody said to me that people in this room you know think you're different so be careful because if you think you're different and being different stops you uh, make an improvement by looking at some of the ideas that people present, then you'll be different, but you'll always be the same. And I'm not sure that's going to be good enough. So listen to what I've got to say, work out how you could apply some of that to your business, albeit you are different, and I'm sure we'll be successful together. And to be honest with you, a few of them afterwards came up to me and said, look, we want to be first to do this because actually we agree with what you just said. So I think, you know, for me, that's the, the exciting piece about Oliver White, you know, that you can do that, you know, I guess in, in part, you know, you, you don't, if somebody fires you as a consultant, you can go and still be a consultant, but that's not the way that we like to work because, uh, you know, I think 80% of the work I do is network, right, through people uh, recommending, etc. and the same with you, Crystal. So as you mentioned, reading quite a bit and, you know, always seeking new information, staying up to date with what's going on, learning new ideas, getting insights that you can apply. Any authors that you follow or thought leaders or maybe podcasts that you're into, any books that you would want to recommend? Do you know what? I wouldn't say that I'm a uh, follower of a certain authors. Some podcasts I listen to, again, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a podcast person. I'm a sit down typically sometimes on holiday you know, if i get the chance as well the last book actually i wrote read was uh, the signal and the noise which actually is fascinating really you know because uh it really goes into understanding you know what is noise around you know what we're trying to manage in business and what is the clear signal fascinating book because actually so much of what we see especially when you're looking at supply chain so much of what we see is noise and actually being able to remove the noise and see the signal is actually what's critical for most businesses because we don't want to be responding to noise we want to respond to the signal and actually that's a, that's a great book it's a it's a hard read but it's a great book Les, let's turn back the clock a bit to um, a time when you made a significant uh, supply chain improvement, whether it's from industry or maybe it's uh, uh, or maybe it's a time that you helped a client company to make a significant uh, supply chain improvement. Tell us about it. What what stands out about it in your mind? Why did you pick it? Why is it a remarkable supply chain transformation? I guess I wouldn't say I picked it. So we talk about a client actually one that uh, you also knew and actually what was interesting about that client is that somebody that worked in a paper mill business had left that role uh, it's a difficult industry uh, having a paper mill and converting paper so they left, left that role and they turned up at this engineering business to be honest actually the person that turned up there I didn't think they ever saw eye to eye with me at the paper business because I was always after them to ensure that, that that person happened to be a plant manager of about five plants. I was also always after them to say, you know, what are you doing? Where are you with that performance improvement? What are you doing to do this, this and this? 
And actually, eventually, they did get to a level of performance that was way in excess of 95%. However, the real story started when that person went from that organization and gave me a call uh, when they arrived at the new organization. And I'm thinking, well, this is unusual, you know, because uh, I'm not sure really we got on. So he gave me a call and said, Les, I've turned up at this new business and actually it's chaotic. And now I've got X plants to manage because uh, the, the role of plant manager in the new business was really significant in the time. And it's just chaos. Could you come in and have a look? So I said, yeah, okay, I, I can come in and have a look. Uh, so let me come in. I'll come in with somebody else as well. Uh, We'll, we'll do a bit of a diagnostic, you know, doesn't take, when you've been doing this for 20 years, one thing I would say to people is you don't need to brown paper map all of what people know is already wrong, because uh, that's just called money and generating money for no need. You actually really need to understand why it's going wrong by just doing some analysis against process and then behaviours that people should be following. So anyway, so... We did this analysis and then we did the feedback to the exec. And actually it was probably reminiscent of a doctor's surgery where they take a test and they ask you to go and sit back in reception for 15 minutes whilst they develop the test. So off we went back into reception for 15 minutes, got called back. It's the quickest decision I've ever had actually was, right, we want to do this with you. I said, okay, but what do you want to do? Well, we want to improve the whole of the supply chain for this division of the business. Okay, fine, good, I'll put together a plan. So anyway, I put together a plan and said, when do you want to start? Well, the 1st of January, obviously that's a holiday in most places. So the 2nd of January, bearing in mind, this was the 22nd of December. <laughs> so I said, okay. Anyway, as usual, you know, when you actually got there, They'd forgotten to tell us that they'd been in backlog for 15 years of the past 25 years, right? which is interesting. Yeah? So anyway, we started to work and these guys were bottom of the lead table in terms of performance in the whole business group. And we're talking about uh, you know, an eight to nine billion business in total. Within the space of nine months, they went from bottom to close to top, in a year, they were the top. What was really interesting, they were proud. And they, in fairness to people, they really were rigorous. They followed the process. They did all of what they needed to do. And whenever you coached them and said to them, what's going on with this performance of this demand plan? Or what's going on with this performance around this plan? They listened, they followed, they actioned and after 12 months they were top of the entire business in terms of performance and actually what was very interesting is that people were then just saying I don't know what they did but we want to do it right so and I guess it really was transformational for lots of the people that then moved on in their careers helped in the global project that we then had but it was so significant, the level of improvement uh, from where they were, because really, really, they were, they were below rock bottom if that place exists.
So, you know, I think, you know, I take great pride in the job we did and uh, the enthusiasm it generated. What do you think contributed to the success? Why did it work? Because it doesn't always work, right? It's really hard sometimes, particularly in organizations like that, where there is a long track record of poor performance. Not, not lack of effort, but poor performance. The results just weren't there. So sometimes it's really hard. Why did it work? So I think it worked because we involved people that were doing the job versus trying to do a top-down, here's, here's a process, please follow it. We actually involved the groups of people that were tasked with doing the job. We educated them or re-educated them, and they were willing to learn. Because I guess when you're at the bottom, it, it's difficult to see how you're going to get out of that. And if your personal life is also suffering because work is overtaking that, then actually there is more desire to drive improvement. And then I've always found, even in my, my career prior to joining Oliver White, I've always found that if people are involved, then you know this notion of involved to solve, that if they are involved to solve, when it doesn't quite work, they will want to prove to everybody that it does work. And they will work on what they need to change and do it in a controlled way because they've got a point to prove. And these are people that I would always say outside of work, they're running clubs, they're running charities. So they're not unintelligent people. They just need that level of motivation, involvement, and that, that second job, you know, I mean, the, the do the job, improve the job is a massively powerful thing if you can get people to actually be on that wavelength of improve the job, you know, and do the job. Because, you know, too often I think people are, or, or they tended to be in the past, maybe it is changing, but I think, you know, it was like there were boxes at the gates of the, of the business and everybody had to open their little locker, take a part of their brain out that said common sense and involvement, close it back in and only pick it up at the end of the day. Whereas actually now, I think if you give people knowledge and it's done in a way that's challenging, but enjoyable, because I do think you have to have some fun as well, then people will rise to that. And I would say actually, the younger generation that's now coming into business, uh, even more so, they want that challenge. They want to be involved in improving versus just doing a job. And I think, you know, the secret there is that if you have the right approach, you don't tell people, but you encourage and you try to transfer knowledge to people, then actually they will rise to that challenge. I, I, another good example, actually, many years ago when I first joined Oliver White, I've done a lot of various study tours around Six Sigma, Kobayashi, various other people, you know, that were gurus of the day. And uh, I joined Oliver White and did a lot of stuff around Kaizen stroke process acceleration. And I, <laughs> I went from, you know, Mercedes racing to a Ministry of Defence client in, uh, in the UK. Now, Ministry of Defence, I guess, you know, similar sort of things around the world. Uh, people have lacked investment in people, uh, challenge, etc. 
there are divisions between leadership and people doing the work, unions, etc. So I went to this one site and it was a ministry defense site and they were basically uh, maintaining bombs was the day job. So, which was, I didn't ever think about it being dangerous because I suppose you followed the rules, but you had to put special shoes on, you had to have static electricity bands on you all the time and things. But anyway, so we did this workshop and it was, uh, yeah, they were making this weapon system and I think they could do about nine overhauls a month. And when you really looked at it, it wasn't really, I wouldn't have said it was that safe. So we always start these workshops. There's a group of about 12, 14 people in the room. And we always start these workshops with an introduction. You know, what do you do? I, I also, also like to do something like, can you give me uh, two truths and a lie about you? Something people don't know, yeah? So I go to the person on my left and I said, uh, so if you can just introduce yourself, they had a name card. What's it got to do with you? Was the answer. I said, well, nothing really. I said, but it would be nice, you know, if we could just know who you are. No, I, you know, I'm not, I'm here because I've been told to be here. So anyway, I think, right, okay, carry on, go around the rest of the room. They're feeling a bit sorry for me now. So they do their intros. Anyway, that group, the guy actually on the left, was the guy that presented back to leadership after four days about the improvements. The week after I left, they'd gone from doing 19 routine missile overhauls a week to 17. Within two months, they were doing 36. And at one point, they managed to get to 40-something. They were such a back. And actually, do you know what? Uh, those guys were so proud they got back together with leadership because they realized that actually it was time to draw a line in the sand and do it together. And I would actually go to one of the local pubs when I was down in the area to do the coaching and they would buy me a drink. But again, the improvement was just amazing. But actually the real amazing thing was how much joy those people took from being able to take a little bit of knowledge, but then use their intelligence and their I guess, entrepreneurialism to solve a problem. And, and, and actually the union guy, when we started said, well, I, I think I'm into this, but don't forget we're doing bomb work here. So it's got to be safe. And I'm not so sure if you do things quicker, it will be safer. At the end of it, they actually became the standard for safety for Europe on how to process these munitions because what they did not only improved the speed of the, the process, but also the safety. But again, for me, it was just a great example of how people can make the difference if you give them the opportunity. Last week, Les, we, um, our guest on the podcast um, talked about this winning spirit. Actually, it was um, Dana Vogt, retired Vice President of Supply Chain for Cummins. So he was our guest last he was our guest last week, and he spoke of that winning, that winning spirit. You know, if you can ignite that in people and then leverage it, it empowers them and drives them and really contributes to the end result of these transformations. Yeah, and Dana's a great guy at motivating people. I met him early on, actually, in uh, when we were deciding to do a, a global rollout. You know, so, and I met him early on and he was very straight uh, wanting to understand why we were different, told me that he didn't like consultants. 
which was great news, you know. <laughs> uh, I quickly worked on why we're not the traditional consultants and explained to him how we uh, helped people improve. And as soon as he heard us talking about how we were helping people to improve versus telling people in the consultant manner, he was with us. And then when we started to talk about how we understood people and what made them want to contribute, he then also got it. You know, I, I guess some, uh, from a background point of view, he'd also worked through various levels in business. And uh, when you do that, you really do understand what makes people work, you know, and how do you get the best out of them? So yeah, Dana was a great guy, but same ethos around, you know, if you want to get the best out of people, if you are willing to invest in them, they will give you back. So yeah, no, great guy. On that note, Les, what advice would you have for supply chain leaders right now trying to drive remarkable improvements of this sort of scale? What might you tell them as they're on their own journey? So the first thing I'd say is to, whilst uh, COVID has had a massive impact, and this is going to seem a bit strange what I'm about to say, COVID was a, an issue that forced us into some short-term thinking and doing some things differently. But now we know that we're going to need to manage that scenario on a regular basis, probably for at least the next year, Hopefully not, but I would imagine for the next year. On top of that, we're going to need to manage a recession to some extent, or even if we get lucky and we manage a V-shaped recovery, you know, managing the upturn of a V is probably going to be as difficult as managing the downside of the V. So what I would say to people is you've got to get your views out there into the future horizon. You've got to look at how fit your processes have been to cope with the volatility, cope with scenario planning, cope with changes in source of supply. And you've got to really think through whether we are still fit for the future or whether we now need to start to get fitter. Because, you know, I'll give you a good example, actually. Uh, this is not knocking a process. I think it's actually a really good process. If you look at something like demand-driven MRP, you know, in reality, it's systemized Kanban methodology but works great when there's less volatility. When there is volatility, you need a process to manage it still. And so, you know, for me, it's a good example where we can invest too much in one way of working and lose the sight of the real toolkits and skills that we need. So I do think, you know, it's time for re-evaluation. How good were we at managing during? What were the gaps? What else do we need to do? And then I'd also add to that, though, that now is the time, I think, to start to think about how we manage true end-to-end -end supply chains using a system so that we have overall visibility of the entire supply chain and the network of it and that we can really start to look at how 
we manage and enhance performance. You know, and I'm not suggesting you go out and buy at all, but I am suggesting that people understand what else could they be doing that would drive performance to the next level? What wasn't good enough? What, what does excellent start to look like going forward? What do we need to do to get there? I would encourage people to do that because, you know, undoubtedly COVID has caused significant disruption. There will be other things that cause disruption in the future. The question is, what, what have we learned? What do we need to improve? And how will we improve it? Les, what are you looking forward to most when all of this is over? All of this COVID-19 disruption and quarantining, what do you want to do first? I want to go back to uh, Portugal. Now, of course, if I'm because of being from the UK, Portugal happens not to be on the list of approved. So that would be one thing. I guess the next thing is uh, I'm looking forward to actually working out how to rebalance uh, life, both as a consultant and how we can help clients to rebalance theirs. Because, you know, in times like this, it's, it's not just me saying that supply chain people should learn, consultants should learn. And actually, what this has taught me is that there's a certain amount of what we do as consultants that we could do virtually while still engaged with people. And then there's a level of things that we need to do where actually we deliver and can deliver higher value face-to-face and that personal touch. So I also think I'm looking forward to getting to working out that balance with our customers and our future customers so that we can maximize every opportunity that we have with people. So whilst I could do with going to Portugal, uh, you know, the challenge for me is how do we rebalance things so that we also learn as a consulting business that you can do things differently. So that, that's, I think, quite interesting. The piece that, interestingly, I find, I don't still know how we're going to do this, but traditionally people have bought things face-to-face. People wanted to see you. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, so that one I'm still trying to fathom out about, you know, will people want to see you to buy or will they actually want to buy virtually and, and will they still be able to, because, you know, in, in Oliver White, whilst we have 50 years of pedigree of process and delivering results, at the end of the day, people still buy people. And I think uh, some research I read a while ago said that uh, 52% of people buy on emotion and then 48% is geared towards the benefit case. And so, you know, to be that emotional sale where people actually get engaged, I don't know whether that will continue in a virtual fashion or whether what's going to happen is we'll end up doing X amount virtual and then the final part face to face so that they can get the emotional attachment. So I look forward to actually evolving that model as well. So I guess those three things, you know, Portugal uh, and then, you know, how do we evolve and learn from what's gone on, change our model to suit customers. And then, you know, the whole, how do we interact when we are helping people to drive improvement in terms of the sale that we make to them. Of course, I can do the second two 
whilst I'm actually in Portugal because they do have high speed <laughs> as well. So <laughs> that's right. Definitely something to look forward to. Yeah. Les, anything else that you'd like to share with us today? Not really. I think, uh, yeah, it's been a, a really good conversation. You know, what I would say to people is that if anybody wants knowledge about what we can do to improve, then Oliver White makes available a lot of free knowledge. So visit our website, take a look. You know, some knowledge, obviously, yeah, when you're doing it in a different way, needs to be chargeable. But there's a hell of a lot of knowledge that exists around the Oliver White uh, community that you can tap into. And certainly, oh, Crystal, I know that you're, you're doing a great job of that as well. Hopefully these podcasts people find interesting and I'm glad to have been uh, part of them. Great. Thank you for being here with us today, Les. And thank you for listening to The Supply Chain Show. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and wherever you stream your content. If you want to know more, in the meantime, check out my website, crystallee.net. Until next time.